The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. It's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to another edition of the Dato Download Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Jack Smith, talking a little USC baseball. Jack, you starting to get a little excited? Oh, I definitely am, Shotgun. This <laughs> this storm in LA has got me just holed up in my apartment, so getting ready for the season, and I am counting the days until we get to be out there. Uh, first at LMU, and then uh, OC in Great Park. Hey, well, I'm going to say that I hope it continues to rain right now and not during the season. So go ahead and get it out of the way now if you have to. I know it's torrential right now, but hopefully that means during the season we're going to be nice and dry. So all the baseball is being played. I don't make a trip out there at some point and I get a rain, rain out or something. Don't want that to happen. But for any first time listeners, the Dato Download podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family shows. The Dato Download is a USC baseball podcast where we break down the latest news and developments about the Trojans program. This week, we're going to be talking all things hitting with the position players taking center stage. We'll be combing through the Trojans 2024 roster, looking at what USC will have on the offensive side of the ball. And who better to talk about those things than USC hitting coach Travis Jewett. So we'll have him on the show to tell us about the hitters he's excited about and how the offense is kind of navigating the unique gypsy challenges, as he put it, this season. And as always, please make sure you guys are liking, sharing, and subscribing to the Peristyle podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes talking all things USC from football to recruiting, basketball with our wide range of shows. Also, please leave us a review as we continue to try and grow the show. You can also submit questions, comments, concerns for future episodes by emailing podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you guys are specifying which show it is for in the email headline so it gets directed to the right place. 
Now, I have to confess, I forced Jack to do our like, share, subscribe, read, because he was unfortunately unable to join me for our Travis interview, Travis Jewett interview. He missed out on all the fun, but you guys don't have to. So we're going to go to that right now. We now welcome in our guest for this week's episode, USC hitting coach and recruiting coordinator, Travis Jewett. TJ, thanks for joining us again and coming back on the show for this season. We really appreciate you sharing your insights and wisdom. Anytime, my man. You know that. I got this text from you, the request. Fired up. Always uh, enjoy hanging out with you, talking Trojan athletics in general, but baseball specifically. And and uh, exciting time of the year, as you know, right? A uh, couple weeks away from throwing that first pitch across the plate. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Hope Springs Eternal. There's only you know 350 teams in America that think they can win a national championship at this point in the season. So, you know, everyone is excited about what is going to happen this season. You guys bring back a ton of your roster from last year and have added some big pieces as well. But there's a big, unique challenge. We talked about it last week with Andy Stankiewicz. You guys are road warriors this week. You called it uh, chatting with you before. You guys are basically gypsies right now, trying to you know just get your equipment from place to place. It's a little bit unique challenge this season uh, with the fact that you guys will not have a home stadium in Dado Field being renovated or being reconstructed, I guess is more accurate. You guys will be playing games in Irvine. You're playing games at LMU. What's been the biggest challenge so far as you guys have been preparing for the season? You guys did during the fall, you got basically your full fall in, uh, but then preparing for the season now that you're back during January and starting February now, what's been the biggest challenge trying to get ready for the season when you don't have a true home field? Well, <laughs> to be honest with you, me personally, it hasn't been too much of a challenge because I just kind of go where they tell me to go and help <laughs> where I need to help. But I would really tell you that, uh, and I may mention this to you before we got started, but uh, Rock Hudgens, our director of baseball operations, uh, man, rock star. Yeah, his name's Rock, but he, he is a rock star. The things on his plate, Shotgun, I mean, like, you would be amazed, right? We got to go buses now everywhere. When we go train, we have to get on a bus, uh, whether that's at Loyola or El Camino or going to Great Park for a dress rehearsal in uh, this coming up weekend. Uh, so every day, for the most part, now we have had some dado training environments, right? You walk out to the outfield, looks a little bit like a crime scene, not the tape, but like there's like painted diamonds on the outfield thing. We've got a, a circular thing like this is exactly where the mound goes, right? And it's just kind of cool. So we've been able to use the outfield grasses as kind of like some training opportunities. Uh, maybe it's weather related as we've had some recently. Uh, the cages are gonna stay up at Dado, I think through May, I was told. So that's been cool, right? So we've had a chance to, you know, a few days stay there and get some really good hitting and then some team defense stuff uh, just kind of on the outfield grass. So I would tell you this, I think we've all had to be real creative. You know, we've had to be organized just ultimately organized right because think about that like you're packing up your home right you're just kind of moving from one place to the next and you're thinking like you know what do I got to bring today okay like they want me to bring the you know the pizzas and the sodas and you know this that and the other well that's like us going to somebody else's home they're saying hey man you need to bring your L screens your ball hoppers your balls Oh, what about machines? Don't forget about extension cords, right? Because if you want those things to work, you got to be able to plug them in. 
um, oh, we want to train accordingly to the game and train well, you know, prepare well to play well. So that takes the 22nd shot clocks, right? Those got to get plugged in. Hey, you still want your track man data? That's got to get moved from place to place, right? So I could go on and on, you know, and, and just the organization of the kids, the buses. Um, and so Coach Stankiewicz and Rock Hudgens, those two guys, man, they, they're the ones kind of driving it, and uh, they've just done a great job. Um, not easy, but, you know, we like to say, you know, like to have it, don't need it. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be a mantra that uh, we're, we're going to fight through and and, uh, and just play baseball. As you know, my favorite thing from the Hoosiers movie, you know, when they get into the big gym, right, and they start taping out the free throw line and the height of the rim, right? It's all just – it's all like 10-foot rim, and, you know, it's all the same. And it's just like – it's not going to be our home home, but the bases are going to be 90 feet and 60 feet, six inches from the plate is the mound. And um, it's going to go play good baseball shotgun. That's what we're going to do. And why? Because we can, <laughs> you know, and we're capable. And uh, we're, we're not going to let this nuanceful uh, BS get in our way. Uh, nah, nah, let's just go for it, you know, and let's make it a great story and, and, uh, you know, until our new home's built, we're just going to kind of be moving around and we'll make these uh, places that we are playing our games at our temporary home. And, and we're going to take really good care of them and we're going to expect to play good there, too. So uh, looking forward to the challenge. Now, when, when you guys coming off last year, when you were, were not very good on the road, um, so there's concern there of, OK, well, they're going to be away from home the whole time. Can you turn this into a positive of you know, uh, of talking to the team about playing on the road since you are basically on the road all the time? And, uh, or do you try to treat it as this is our home, this is what we're going to make it our home, and, and go about it that way? You know, how do you kind of attack the the mentality of being on the road all the, all the time this year? Yeah, I think what's going to be important is that, you know, we we really do establish wherever that we're listed as the home team uh, on the scorecard that, we make it ours and we try to become as familiar with it as and as comfortable as it is so that, you know, we can feel like it is ours, you know, and uh, although it isn't, I think we can do some things and coaches again, done a great job of like taking us to those places, right. So that we can be familiar. We have played it. We understand what the grass is like, the tall wall at Loyola, the, you know, the lights, the, the bounces in the corners, whatever we do, like when we do go on the road, because I think the more familiar we come, then the more comfortable we come. And that's just good training, right? It's like our hitters, you know, want to put our feet in the box as competitive as we can so that when the umpire points the ball play, it's like, hey, we've been here. We've done this. We're not afraid of two strikes. Uh, we've smelt velocity. We've seen good shapes. We've seen bad shapes. Uh, just all those things so that now you can be like, okay, I got this and I'm ready. And so, yeah, we can say that as much as we want, Shotgun, but regardless, it's not our home. It's not Dado. It's not going to be – it's not the old Dado. It's not the new Dado. It's the in-between Dado, and it's it's tough, you know. And so I think we've got to look at it head on. we got to embrace it. And like I said earlier, like to have it, don't need it, you know. And it's just – it's kind of a mantra that I think the guys are kind of singing. Uh, yeah, 
We certainly like to have it, but we certainly don't need it either. We can still play good baseball and find ways to win, which is the expectation going forward, uh, regardless of gypsy or not. <laughs> well, we'll see. You guys can turn it into to Dado South and Dado West of the 405, at least. Uh, there for, you go. For, uh, for this season. Talking about the the group, uh, you know, what's been the biggest area of emphasis for the offense this offseason? I mean, you guys had several players when we talked to Andy Stankiewicz that were in that 270 to 290 range, solid seasons that he said some guys need to go from good to great. But what did you guys really emphasize just as a team um, this offseason on the offensive side? Yeah, well, obviously, um, now don't shortchange Hedgie and O'Vern and some of those guys, it was better than 270, 290 now. <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we realized that, you know, last year, uh, two worst words in the English dictionary last year. But, anyways, um, we had, what, one, four-ish kind of youngsters that pretty much played every day, right? Hedges and Grudds and O'Vern and then Galloway kind of at the backside of the season those guys were all freshmen or red shirt freshmen so and they all had some really good productions so that gives you a lot of excitement uh coming into it then you return an older uh ryan jackson and a carson wells and so that all of a sudden like you said uh, a lot of our field is back um and so wanted to make sure that we tried to fill in those holes that weren't back for sure and then uh, we think we've done a nice job with that, with a couple of uh, with the JUCO transfer and JT Walden showing some left-handed ability to hit, control the strike zone, show some power. And Chris Brown, um, grad transfer from UConn. This kid hits the ball real hard, shotgun. No, it, it, he hits it. it it's going to be a challenge on you. Um, so that's good. And then, man – I really like some of our high school kids, uh, some of these young kids that have come in here, and I think they got a chance to have some impact not only this year but certainly be a, a big thing for us going forward as we continue to kind of build our depth and things like that. So, um, And just like Coach said, last year is last year. This is this year. It's new. All those guys that played well and played a lot last year and had some glimpses, those have to be better. They have to be more. We've They've got to – do those things for us so that we can continue to move this thing forward. But uh, they're all training hard, and I think they've got a pretty good feel about what they're trying to do and who they need to be to help the team become the most successful. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, them getting out there in action and showing everybody that they have gotten better, and uh, they will, again, once again, be a big, big cog in what we're trying to do offensively. As I mentioned, you know, several guys that had good years, uh, Austin O'Vern, maybe you could call a great year. You know, I'd probably put it up there. Definitely a great freshman year. Um, but how do you generate that growth to go take those guys or solid contributors for you to having them be, you know, all Pac-12 type performers to make that lineup even more deep and more dangerous? Yeah, just, just uh, you know, hit, you know what hitting is in my mind? It's repetitions and adjustments. Just more swings, more swings, more at-bats. Um, yeah, them becoming more knowing of maybe my verbiage, right? Coach's verbiage, uh, their muscle memory, their ability to understand how their swing works, what they're trying to do. Um, and so we preach that a lot, you know, and these kids are invested now, shotgun. They, they swing the bat a lot. 
and they like to swing the bat a lot, which I think in itself will help out. So, um, you know, they're just, they're just getting better. I mean, they're stronger now. They're, they've seen more pitches. They understand like, Hey, maybe what I want to try to do with runners in scoring position or, Hey, there's a righty down in the bullpen and that first base is open. And I know this guy's going to try to get me to sucker chase and do all these things. No, I, I, I understand what's going on. I'm going to counterbalance this. Well, you know, um, I think that's the biggest thing too. just try to keep controlling the strike zone, get on time for what you're looking for, have a very clear, vague, positive, aggressive approach that we like to talk about. Um, I don't care if you want to sit on a knuckleball minus two strikes. Now I tell the guys all the time, I hope he has a knuckleball, but like <laughs> if he does and you want to sit on it, that's to me, that's, that's good hit and that's deductive reasoning. And so I think the kids, not only mechanically are they getting better, but I just think like, you know, I mean, mentally, physically, combination approaches, plans, what they're trying to do to me. Um, and then just kind of being prepared for all those types of things. So um, that's my objective every day is to make sure these guys shotgun. They got a routine. And they got a plan. And they got to do all their T's and their flips. And I get all that stuff. But you and I'd be good at that. You know what I mean? Like, we can do that. But then all of a sudden it starts getting a little bit firm. Starts getting a little bit taller, a little bit lower. The ability to create that, you know, manipulate your bat. That's an that's an art. Um, seeing all kinds of shapes, man. You know, just see it over and over, left, right, up, dirt, take, spit, homer. And, you know, just like constantly, just trying to give them those types of things. Working a lot of condensed at bats. I have this cool thing that we talk about first one work two, and we've got great machines because coaches allowed us to have these computer like machines and you could put eight pitches in a program and we could put it on random and just like a game, right? It's just, it's all random. It's just like you, you might want to think, you know, what's coming, which is great, but you don't always know you're not in control of the pitcher is. And so we've got the ability to kind of, you know, pull a random heater 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 break them all up break them all down and it just forces the kids and we do at bats and the first starts at a neutral count and then it goes to 2-0 if it's a ball but 0-2 if it's a strike and then we carry the at bats up from there and we will work on hunting heaters and i'll put in a bunch of heaters but also put in some good change-ups and the ability to learn how to like full bat speed, be aggressive and be in front and swing and miss. It's cool, right? Versus trying to slow down and tap and we'll sit on pitches. We'll take other pitches, you know, we just every day, man, just trying to create all those types of things. And, and uh, you know, hopefully those game, like my caveman mentality will help them because, you know, hopefully we're preparing them well to play well, because it's a lot of game like training. And so I think those kids keep doing that. That's how I think they're going to continue to get better. So there is you go. It, is it easier to do that with a group that's, you know, did you return so many uh, starters because they've been there and they've done it? Or is, is there a little bit less competition uh, when you have, you know, seven re returners in the lineup? You know, how do you, how do you keep it invoking that competition at the same time? Yeah, that's a great, great point. Um, Yes, it's easier because they are more knowing. I love that word, knowing. You're either knowing or you're unknowing. If you're unknowing, then you're going to suck. You know, <laughs> we don't want to suck. So if 
I tell the kids all the time, you're, you're responsible for your own personal success. And part of that is like communication and understanding and things like that. So these kids that are back, they're certainly used to my quirkiness and weirdness and whistle and what we want and how it works. And that's great because then they become the, the leaders. Then they become not only verbally, but phys- or, you know, physically. And I'd say that because like, then I can watch, Oh shoot, look at O'Vern and Grudds and Wells and Jackson. And these guys have got a lot of bats and been around you a long time. They, they, they know what's going on. I can watch them. Okay. And that, so they, they replicate that championship behavior. That's good. Where I think I want to say what you talked about, the competition, that shotgun in a short time is where I think we've already started to get even better because Grudz and Jackson and those guys, right, they, they're feeling Kevin Takuchi and his swing, right, and just true freshmen and Avery Covarubius, he can play all over the infield, catch a grounder, Run you a four-two down the line, smash a ball in a gap. Mm-hmm. Like and so the we're we're uh, we're more layered. We're deeper. We can actually scrimmage now and maybe have someone sitting on the bench <laughs> because we got too many players. That's a good problem. Last year we didn't even have a chance to fully like scrimmage because we were just kind of short uh, bodies, and so we're deeper. And that's great because I, I think like anything, uh, any great organization, man, is based on the character of the people inside of it and certainly the competition from within inside of it. Because, as you know, iron sharpens iron. And so I, I like our competition. So, yes, our older kids, in a nutshell, are more knowing and they're doing their thing. But they also realize that, like, there's some youngsters and some chancers that are – what do they call it? Breathing down my neck. That'll keep you, <laughs> that'll keep you going. And so uh, I, I've really liked our competition from within. I think it's kept everybody highly focused and motivated and all those things that are important uh, to keep pushing this needle forward. Have you seen somebody step up as a vocal leader this, this year? Is there someone on that offensive side that, that's really taken that mantle? Um, you know, I'd say Grudz is kind of the, confident in a good way, cocky guy that, you know, will do his thing like that. O'Vern's a little bit more quiet, but kind of behind the scenes, but lets his actions kind of speak the words. So it's not an overly like, uh, you know, vocal group that way, but uh, they're, they're, they know what they're doing. They're invested. They probably don't say too much because I'm always talking. So, <laughs> no, but no problems that way. Like, I'm not saying there's an, it's a good thing or a bad thing at all. I mean, the kids are, they're, they're fine that way. And uh, I really think that those older guys are, are helpful, right? Because they're helping the younger guys along. And so, yeah, I'd say the leadership that way is, is just fine because they're, they're pulling those guys in the right direction. One of the things we've noticed is that there seems like a handful of returners that are preparing to shuffle positions. You got Hedges moving across the diamond to third base, potentially Gretzelani to short, Jackson second, Wells maybe right field. What and, and some of those are still in flux. Uh, Andy mentioned those last week. Uh, what led to to making those decisions? Is that just a trial thing that you want to see during the fall? Um, you know, how's that process going as you try to assess what positions everyone can play and what positions are best for everyone to play? Yeah, I think it's both of those things, you know. 
we're really, I, I think at the end of the day, right, if you could get, we want to try to get all of our best bats in there. <laughs> but yet at the same time, we don't want to play defense with our bats in the field either, right? Because that wouldn't work out so well. So we want to try to kind of like fiddle around a little bit with our athleticism, I think, more than anything. It's just like, it's been kind of beautiful because we talked about so much of the things returning. There's not maybe a ton open. There's still competition. But like Olmstead, God, I missed that guy, by the way. Uh, he's not there, right? So somebody else has to play third. Uh, Cole Gaberson, I miss him too. Um, somebody's got to play a corner outfield if Wells and O'Vern are going to play out there today. So just trying to see like – you know, Wells is a good outfielder, so is it just a real easy move for him to play right and maybe easier for somebody to learn left than it is Wells because Wells is so good. And so Wells is still playing left, but he's like, bring it, Jew. Like, I can play right center. I'll play wherever you need me to. I'm good. I understand curves and hooks and sinks no matter where you put me. That's comfortable. Um, Hedges, man, what a good athlete. I'm on Seth and Stank. I want – him to pitch too. Um, I do. I really do. This kid's got a really good arm and he was a good pitcher. Now we just haven't had a chance to kind of figure that thing out. But like you said, he played first last year. He shotgun is a really good first baseman. I was surprised how good he was. He's really good. Plays good third base too. And then yesterday in scrimmage, he played left field, made a, a diving attempt at a ball that wind knocked down flaring, but he went after it like he'd been playing out there all of his life. Um, throws the balls really good. So that's nice. You know, we've got a couple of these infielders that I just mentioned to these high school young kids that we really like a lot. Like they can play, man. But we're like, okay, if Jackson and Ruds and Hedges are going to do this, and it's like, what about this? Can this guy maybe play third if Hedges – goes out to left field or, and so that's the stuff I'm talking to you about. We're, we're able, we've been able, excuse me, to cross train guys. And I love the ability to cross train guys so that when we do maybe have to make moves, whether it's the starting position shotgun or just a natural progression of a substitution pattern in a baseball game, right? It's like, Hey man, wouldn't that be cool? Like hedges starts at third. And then uh, we went to a righty at first and Walden came out and we moved Hedges back to first. And then one of the freshmen came in and played third. And then something came up and we wanted to insert Brown at first. And we pinch hit for the left fielder who, you know, and Hedges can go to left. I mean, and Covarrubias can play short and second and third. And, you know, Takuchi's played some second, and now he's got a, a game or so in the left field now. Mm, you can see it. So I, I just like what Coach is doing. He's just trying to figure out kind of our best pieces offensively, defensively, but yet also just kind of water their feet at all these different spots, right? So that the first time they do it, it's not like game – 20 right it's like no no I've been here I've, I've trained here in practice I've played some scrimmage games there and I anticipate that he'll continue to do it and I think that'll best set up our team for the best use of its parts um, from a you know intrinsic part of a holistic opportunity so um, I like some of our 
ability to kind of shimmy shake and move guys that are in different positions possibly uh, at different times. Nothing wrong with a little positional versatility, adding a bunch of slashes on the scorecard if anyone's keeping their scorecards at home and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, TJ, I've already taken more of your time than I said I would, but I got to ask about three specific players. So give me just a couple sentences on the development, uh, where you see these guys at. Austin O'Vern, such a promising freshman season. What kind of development have you seen from him this offseason? You know, I think it's still a work in progress. He certainly um, had some nice things going. I think if Austin was sitting, you know, right here next to me, I I think he would share with you the same, um, just trying to create maybe a little bit more of a, a shorter path to the ball. I really want him to understand shotgun that he is a front of the plate hitter. Nothing good for Austin. Well, hitters in general, but particularly Austin, because of his game and his skill set. You see this? And it's back here, like behind my face, or what we like to say, hands behind the nose. Mm, That's kind of rush. That's late. That's chase. That's pop-up players. No, you look at all of his success, right? Uh, a lot of it, you look, break his stance down, man, he's, he's got a good base. He's in his legs, his barrels forward. It's, it's forward. Thusly, boom, I get it. There's his power. Oh, I'm a little bit out front. I can hook you in the corner. You know, oh, I'm right on time on that pitch away. I can hit a line drive to left. And so when he can really truly understand what timing is for sure, and then the ability just to own the front of the plate, and I'm trying to tell him, I don't want you staying back. I hate it when my hitters stay back. We, we don't talk about staying back. Sometimes he gets stuck kind of back. I want him going forward. If we get to center, perfect. If we get a little forward of center, he can still whack it and run really fast. It's almost like a jailbreak. Right, he got a change up yesterday in scrimmage, and he just chucked and he just leaped out. He stayed over the plate, but he leaped out there, Wah! you know, smashed the ball in the right field. I'm like, exactly, you know, not back here. It's do here, do here, and so him continue to take the skill acquisition and doing it, but just more, repeat it more. He needs to repeat it more. He put a bad bunt the other day, three eight. <laughs> didn't stutter three eight five down the line you know it's like he needs to bunt show bunt pulling people hit it by him slap it by him get on first base be that like mind act split to the pitcher right could you imagine he's on base that pitcher's freaking out right which helps me now as a hitter and so uh i know long-winded but i'm very passionate about this young man um i think there's probably some pressure Shotgun on him, right? Yeah, he's an All-American this or 13 this or Pac-12 this and draft status. Yeah. Hey, it's part of being good, man. So he's going to have to handle those. He's going to have to embrace them well. I think he's going to have to kind of quit listening to all the noise. Um, Just kind of hopefully listen to me and him and try to get help him become the best version of himself. But – Man, the sky's the limit for this guy for sure. So he's he's working hard. On the other end of the spectrum, from a smaller guy to a big guy, Chris Brown coming from UConn, grad transfer. 
Uh, you know, things just hadn't worked out for him at UConn. You know, I talked to their coaches there, and they said at times he was their best player, and they were surprised that it, it didn't all click for him. He had an amazing fall for you guys. A couple of times I was out there, he just smashed balls either off the wall or over the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, his potential as a middle of the lineup bat, uh, you know, what kind of impact could he have for this team? Yeah, just that, uh, a big, strong, fast guy, right? That's how I like him, big, strong, fast guys that can, like, hit for some power, you know? And I think he's got the ability to change the the complexion of a ball game shotgun in one swing, you know? And if we can get a couple in a game, that's even better. But, um, yeah, I know Coach Penders and UConn, for all the listeners out there, they are really good in baseball. Uh, I witnessed that firsthand. You, you, you know, back ten years ago, I, I wasn't so aware of UConn. I became very, very aware of UConn. Uh, he's a great coach. They have a great program. He told me the same thing. He goes, "Juice, sometimes like I watch him. He's red shirt and he's not playing. I look at him. He's taking BP. I almost have to look down sometimes because I'm thinking like, what the heck are we doing? My best player's hitting right now." Um, so that was kind of a sell for us, right? Like when we were, we brought him on, like, okay, Penders uh, said that th- there's certainly a chance here. So, yeah, gives us the ability to change the game uh, in a swing of the bat or two. So that that's kind of nice. And we get some of these other guys table setting for him and have him clean up some stuff. That would be nice. I, I think the biggest thing for him, and he's doing a lot better, is just the recognition of the – the off speed, you know, and just learning how people are going to try to get him out, um, learning how to sit on some pitches, right? Because, right, if you know that I'm going to throw you something right now, you're going to be more ready to catch it, right? It's like if you're sitting on this slider, they, they become a lot easier to hit because of the deductive reasoning. And so you can start to that speed. You can look for the shape, you understand the destination, and be surprised you can hit a pretty good slider when you're sitting on it. So, He's learning how to kind of do some of that, um, you know, and he's more than anything, Chaka, hitting isn't always what you are swinging at. To me, a lot of it is what you are not swinging at. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think a lot of people practice like, hey, we got to swing at the good pitches and also like that. That to me, that just happens naturally. You know, that's like going to Whole Foods. You know what I mean? It's like, this is like, can you stay off that? Can you stay off that? Can you stay off that? Down, down, let it bounce. Let leverage win, baby. You know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, now it's 1-0. How about that 1-1 one, one shotgun, right on right slider, down and away. Not dirt, kind of dirt, whatever. But it's just down. It's tilted down. The guy that can properly, like, flinch at the ball. Ball. Right now it's two one and just leverage right Brownie, he's getting a lot better at that, and so once he can do that, then all of a sudden becomes a dangerous kind of guy. And like I said, uh, super excited that he's here because he's. I said two things: competition within and character. Uh, you know the character of the people. Uh, this kid made an immediate impact. I see the kids like him a lot. I can tell, and uh, he's 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 inserted himself well and. Uh, Watch out. I think this guy's got double-digit kind of power. I'm not trying to put any undue pressure on him, but he can make a lot of ballparks look small. How about that? (laughs) 
He definitely made Dato d- during the fall that way. Uh, right. Because I, I believe every scrimmage you guys had, he had at least one extra base hit. I think that was, was what I was told. At least the, the couple I was out, he definitely did. Was smashing balls around BP and whatnot as well. So we look forward to seeing what he can do. TJ, we look forward to having you on again. I feel like I could talk to you for three or four hours straight just about hitting. You're so much fun and with so much energy. Thank you. Um, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Dato Download Podcast. And we really appreciate you. Like I said, your insight and your wisdom. Well, hey, thank you. And next time, let's just count on those three to four hours, right? Because I just <laughs> you get go you get me going, then I get all feisty, and you know I love it. But like I always tell you, thank you, appreciate it, fight on. Anytime that I can share the, you know how great. An awesome coach Stankwitz is. I mean, come on. And Rock and Serge and Jenks and Seth and the kids and talk about the boys and the baseball program. Like, I'll drop a lot of things to join you for that. So, uh, you say the word. I'll be here for you. I look forward to seeing you out and about here as we get going. So, thanks again. Thank you for, for taking the time. We really appreciate you. With that, we're going to jump into our break. And then Jack and I will be back to further dissect the Trojans offense. Deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, again, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them in at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the Dato download or the baseball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to Jack and I. Now, Jack, we heard from Travis Jewett. I love talking to him. Like I said, I think I said during the interview, I was supposed to get him for, I told him, hey, can I get you about 15 minutes? And the interview went twice as long because that's what happens anytime I'm around him. Every time I go down to the cages, I end up talking to him for 30 minutes or something. Um, I, I told him I probably could have him on for three to four hours and not feel like that I'm forcing the issue chatting with him. So much fun to chat with him. What stood out to you from, from my interview with, with Travis Jewett? 
Well, I mean, first thing that stood out is obviously just how great he is. And obviously, we're very grateful to have him on the show and looking forward to getting to talk to him throughout the rest of the season. I was sorry I had to miss it. But here with the storm and all, it's been hard to navigate everything. But I think the biggest thing that I took away from your conversation with him was the versatility that USC is looking for this year, not only on the offensive side, but specifically on the defense. I thought some of his best quotes came about that, saying he just loves to be able to cross train guys so that when they can or when they have to make moves, they've got guys available to play for first base or third base or left field and just how many different players they feel like they have right now that can play two or three or four positions. It's clearly something that they've emphasized over the off season. And I think it's something that's maybe a little bit different from last year because you had, you know, Austin over and play every single game in center field. Carson Wells would play basically every game in left with Gabrielson in right. You had Ryan Jackson playing every day at short. Now it seems like we might not get that. Now USC could end up doing that if they find the guy that they wanted all nine positions on defense. But I think that they're going to have uh, some more switch around because of the versatile players they have, as well as the competition, too, that he mentioned with some of the freshmen and some of the newcomers. So I think that is part of that competitive depth that we talked about for the USC football team. You're bringing that to baseball as well, where you're stacking years with this new coaching staff and their recruiting and the success from last season. And I think it sounded like uh, Coach Jewett is very excited about the future of this program, as well as some of the guys that they've got in there right now who might play this season, but also might have to wait because They've got so many talented guys. Yeah, and that's interesting because that means you have more depth. That means you have more options. Now the question will be, do they do that? Uh, you know, Andy Stankwitz is not necessarily Rich Hill. So if anyone knows college baseball in Southern California, Rich Hill, who long time was at San Diego, now at Hawaii, loves to tinker. The man changes his lineup almost every game. There's someone different in some different spot. You know, Chris Bryant, when he was at San Diego, mainstay at third base right that's where he gets drafted that's where he gets played now he played some right field he played some left field he moved him all over the place even though that's a you know a top five pick you know and everyone knew that he was going to play third in college well rich hill looked at it and said well he might play some you know play, play some outfield and pro ball so we'll give him a shot and he would move guys around um and, and does a f- fantastic job doing that going off field and different things and he was not necessarily like that he likes guys to get in a rhythm and play now he will move some guys if guys are struggling and whatnot. And that's what the versatility gives you. Um, whereas, you know, someone's struggling, but someone else is doing well. Well, is that his direct backup? No, but if we move this guy over here, we move this guy, maybe you can do that a little bit more with some positional versatility. So, yeah, that definitely stood out for sure. The fact that, you know, I, I think you mentioned it and, you know, it was your question that I asked him was about how – they've had a handful of guys that are moving positions and, you know, those aren't solidified for sure, but hedges going across the diamond, you kind of shift the diamond in the infield, flipping Grudzelanek and Jackson and, you know, Wells as he flips side. So guys that were already established in the lineup are actually trying and and playing other positions and and giving those things. So, uh, you you know, I, I think that's interesting because it's not like, all right, we know who we got here. We just got to replace third base where Olmstead was. We got to replace right field where Gabrielson is like, no, let's move some guys around. Let's see what we got. Let's try to have that opportunity to, to be able to move guys if we need to once the season comes around. Yeah. And I think you look at, you could look at this team and say, seven of the nine regular starters by the end of last season are returning. So it's like, okay, you've got the seven positions that they were at are on lock. You just have to fill the other two. And I think they're looking at it from a more stripped down approach where it's like, no, we're returning seven guys, but we still need to find the most optimal way to play them because last season they they clearly wanted to get Ethan Hedges in onto the field and into the batting lineup. But Johnny Olmstead had third base down on lock. So you've got this high school shortstop from modern day who's now all of a sudden 
the only option for him is first base. You know, he, he would play there when Nick Lopez wasn't playing super well to start. And then he ended up uh, earning a spot in the lineup full time. And clearly first base was not the position that I think they thought he would end up at when they were recruiting him, but that's how they could get him on the field first. But now you've got this off season to, to kind of relook at things and you're like, well, he played shortstop in high school. He can handle third base. And that's, we need to replace Johnny Olmstead there. So you make that move and now first base is open. And then you just see how good of an athlete he is at third. And you've got some of these other freshmen that are coming up behind him who are primarily infielders who we've heard about from Andy Sankowitz and now Travis Jewett that, Okay, and what if we try hedges in left field? And it's it's the puzzle that that kind of the jigsaw puzzle that Andy Stankowitz talked about at the end of our last interview that it, the USC is clearly thinking about it. I, I bet they'll think about it all the way up until the season starts. And Shaka, I wouldn't be surprised if they are still thinking about it and moving around some of those puzzle pieces as the season continues to progress. And it enables you to ride the hot hand. It enables you to have that competition level as well. You know, where if you're struggling, someone's going to take your spot. So you got to keep you know pushing yourself to get better. But also, if someone's got some really good BPs going, all right, let's give them a chance here. Maybe we can, you know, we don't want to take this person out of the lineup because they're the set starter there, but that's where the the other guy plays best. So we can flip somebody else, you know, and you can move some pieces around and do a little bit more there. But we've talked about how there's so many different pieces. Let's go through and kind of look position by position. Who's who's really in the competition at these spots? Who's going to start more than likely? Uh, you know, starting at catcher. You got, you know, Connor Cliff returns. You got Jacob Galloway. That's going to be your one-two. Catcher is your position where you pretty much have two guys and it's a rotation. You know, that's through every level of baseball nowadays. Um, And USC was pretty much that way yet last year. Do you foresee it being, you know, sometimes you'll see at the college level, there's a dominant catcher. Garrett Stubbs basically was catching every game. Um, He was still in the lineup every game if he wasn't catching, but he would go out to left field or something uh, when he was at USC. But a lot of times, you know, you, you may have somebody go 75-25. It could be 50-50 split. How do you see catcher kind of shaking out with those two guys being the primary options and Luca DiPaolo being another option to catcher, though, he, like I said, he's playing a bunch of different spots. Andrew Lamb, also a freshman, is listed as a catcher, but also can play a bunch of different spots. What do you see at the catcher spot? I think from everything that we've heard and observed at the end of last season after Connor Clift got injured, which kind of opened the catcher spot back up, I think it's going to be Jacob Galloway, who's the kind of the mainstay at catcher. I think we're going to see Clift and DePaulo behind the plate sometimes as well. But those two, I think more profile is DHs or maybe DePaulo moves to an outfield spot. But Galloway is, I think, the most pure catcher of the three. And he's clearly the best defensive catcher of the three. He's one of the best defensive catchers in the Pac-12. And uh, when I got to see him this summer, it's just something that he excelled at, whether it's framing or uh, picking guys off, throwing runners out. I think he caught seven of the 11 base runners that tried to steal on him last year when he came in for, for, uh, for Connor Aoki. Um, but he played in 20 of the team's last 23 games at the end of last season. So I think that's kind of Andy Stankiewicz showing his hand of who he really values behind the plate. I think we're going to see a lot of at-bats for Clifton DePaolo. And you know I think we're going to talk a lot about DePaolo later as someone who can take a big leap for this team. But when it comes to who's going to catch the most innings, I think it's going to be Galloway because he profiles more of that guy that you want behind the plate maybe you're not trying to get his bat into the lineup at a DH spot because of, you know, he doesn't have as much power. He's a really great hitter, but he's there clearly their best pure catcher, in my opinion. And I think you're going to see him 
most of the time behind the plate because he also works really well with the pitching staff. Uh, I feel like I kind of undersold him there as a hitter. He's very, very good. Hit 365 in his 23 games or his 19 games rather at the end of last year, which I think would have been good for second in the Pac-12 if he was a qualified hitter. So he's, uh, you know, a good hitter, but I think he's a really good defensive catcher, which is why you're going to see him catch the most innings of anyone on this team. Yeah, part of the reason why he stayed in the lineup throughout the, yeah, exactly. the season was was he's hitting 365. You don't take out that bat uh, when it, when it's happening, especially down a stretch run of a season. If he was hitting 222, you probably go back to you know the veterans there. Uh, but Galloway is is the better defender there, and it's interesting that it, it's two different body types. You know, you got Galloway listed at 5'9", 175, much more of your Garrett Stubbs, smaller athletic catcher versus the big body catcher, uh, Connor Cliff, more of that listed at 220 pounds. He provides more pop. So it may be depending on what you're looking for in a lineup on a given day at times too, of when you want to get Cliff in versus when you want to get Galloway. Or if you want to get to Paolo, he's another guy that's going to give you some pop as well. So the, the catcher position, but seems like Galloway is probably the front runner there, but we will definitely see Connor Cliff. What about over at first base? We mentioned Luca DePaolo being an option there, but some other options have kind of have come up, even though Nick Lopez is no longer in the program. Yeah, so Hedges was the one who ended the season at first base last year. Everything that we've heard so far, I think, kind of leads us to believe that Hedges will be playing elsewhere, whether that's a third base or in the outfield somewhere. Um, And so if he's playing third base, that most likely means that Chris Brown, who obviously you heard rave reviews about from Travis Jewett, will be playing at first base, where I think they thought he was maybe a little bit of a better fit for this team, because you definitely want his bat in there from all the comments that Jewett had in the interview. I think he's most likely to play first base. You've also got JT Walden, who's a potential first first base outfield split guy uh, could be, you know, a fourth outfielder or see some time at first base. So I'd say it's some collection of Brown, maybe DePaulo plays a little bit there if he's not DHing or Walden, but I, I would assume it's going to be a lot of Chris Brown. Yeah, a lot of Chris Brown. I think him and Hedges will be manning the corners. Now you can flip those guys if you need to. You can do some different things, like said, if there's a pinch hitter or different things like that. Walden could be a great option as a left-handed bat off the bench as well um, if he doesn't get into the lineup. So he can provide you some pop. Hey, you're trailing in a game. You need someone with a big swing. He could be a guy that, that could go in there. Uh, he's doing a really good job of controlling the strike zone from what I've been told. Uh, so I think that's a big thing where, hey, you need someone to give you a grind you out in a that with runners on base or something that's a great pinch hit option like i said if he's not in the lineup but so that's the other option there at first base middle infield go ahead it's uh, yeah i got one more comment about it. i mean brown and walden are so similar they're both six four two twenty the only difference is you know one hits right-handed one hits left-handed uh and we didn't see a whole lot of tinkering from andy stankwish last year but he wasn't he wasn't afraid to pinch hit guys in certain situations and i think first base is a spot where defense is can be kind of comparable. So you will want to have those platoon splits. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we see Brown play the first six innings of game and then uh, a right-handed reliever comes in and Andy Sanquist decides, no, let's get Walden's bat in there. And this is a guy who was a two-time junior college All-American. So he's no slouch with the bat either. It, I think 10 home runs last year at Folsom Lake College. So I wouldn't be I would. I wouldn't be surprised if we see those two guys flip-flop during games as well. And maybe instead of Brown coming out, he can move to third, stuff like that. But I would assume that we'll see a good combination of those two. And they are very similar that I think their bats used in the right way, one being lefty and one being righty, could make a big impact. We could also just see a straight platoon as well, yep. you know, versus righties versus lefties. You know, there's a lot of options. And that that's what we'll notice as we go through this uh, middle infield. We get the old flip-flop. You know, Ryan Jackson played shortstop primarily last year. 
Uh, this year, you got Bryce Martin Grizzlonic is going to take that spot after playing second base last year. And now Ryan Jackson played some second base. I think Bryce Martin also played some shortstop at times last year. But those were the primary position. It sounds like those have been flip flop. Um, and you know, it, it's interesting. Again, a a different two guys that are battling for similar positions, but could play together, unlike the catcher spot. But again, a difference in body types. Grezelonic at 6'3", 185, Jackson at 5'10", 180. So uh, two different guys, um, and those are the front runners, but they're not the only ones. Who else have got in the mix? Yeah, you've got Avery Kovarubias, who we, we heard a lot about from Andy Stankiewicz. He called him a, you know, just a baseball rat that really wants to get on the field, and they're just trying to find him any spot, whether that is at third base or in the middle infield or somewhere in the outfield. They really want to get his bat in the lineup and just his ability to get the glove on the baseball on the field. Uh, you've got Kaikia Harrison, who's returning from last year. He's a sophomore from Hawaii. He, he got... Got into 16 games last year, made four starts, but kind of was mostly used as a defensive replacement or a pinch runner, so he could fulfill that role as well. Obviously, someone that's really fast, plays a solid defense. We'll just have to see if the bat was able to tick up from last year. I believe he had one hit and uh, 13 at-bats last season, so you're hoping that he could take an offensive step forward. And you got some bloodlines in that mix. You know, obviously, Bryce Martin Grezelanek, his dad, uh, Mark Grezelanek, was former big leaguer. Kakea Harrison, his older brother, KJ Harrison, was a stud at, at Oregon State. Uh, I think he's still in the minors right now. Uh, and then Ryan Jackson, obviously, is a descendant of Bo Jackson. You know, just uh, maybe not. Maybe maybe there's a difference <laughs> in Jackson. Maybe that's more of a common last name. But, but yeah, it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you have these returners that, okay, we got expectations from them, and, you know, we know what they can do. And Bryce Martin Grizzlonic is a guy who could potentially break out a little bit more. But uh, Kova Rubies is, is the guy that keeps popping up every time we chat with him, uh, with, with anyone. And uh, another guy, Kevin Takuchi, probably more likely in the outfield, but maybe he could play some second base as well. He's listed as an infield outfielder. Uh, he's a guy that everyone keeps talking about his bat. So we'll see. You know, he might be a guy that just forces him way, his way into somewhere. And if the weak spot is second base or, and you want to move, whether it be Grezelonic or Jackson is struggling or whoever is struggling and you move the other one to shortstop second base could be a spot where maybe we see Takuchi as well. How about at third base? We mentioned hedges being over there. Anyone else that you think kind of gets in that mix? Anyone else uh, to keep an eye on? I think the guys that we've talked about, the ones that don't work out in the middle infield will be up for third base as well. Right now, I think Hedges makes the most sense there, but obviously we heard from Travis Jewett that he looks like a natural left fielder as well, which is also a position USC might have to fill if they make some changes in the outfield. But I think ultimately Hedges, who was a really good shortstop at Modern Day High School, he's only a sophomore, he's already played on the infield for USC. I feel like he'll be the one to stick at third base um, just because we saw him play above average defense at first base last year, despite that not being his natural position. Uh, and he's such a good athlete that I think USC will want to use his defense at third, but whether it's a Covarubias or a Takuchi, I think whoever doesn't work out in those middle infield spots could also be an option for third base. I mean, you mentioned Bryce Martin Grudzelanik as a guy who's 6'3", 185, and he's transferring from second base to shortstop because that's where his body fits more. If he doesn't work at shortstop, his body and his arm will also play at third base as well. So if that that could be an option that USC goes with. Um, but kind of on the on this whole infield debate as well, where you've got all these returners and you had Ryan Jackson who played a really good defensive shortstop last year and Bryce Martin Grudzelanek who played a really good defensive second base last year. You can go into that thinking, 
well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I, I think when you've got seven of nine returners, the worst thing that you can have is complacency. And I think two things have been done to make sure that's not going to set in. You've got a lot of freshmen that are going to come in and as well as some transfers that are going to compete and push up. I think uh, Travis Hewitt said, breathe down your neck. You, you can never ha- you can never take a day off because you've got all these freshmen that might be wanting to take your spot. And if you're switching positions as well, you've got something else to focus on. So you can't uh, just be spending the entire offseason thinking, well, I've got my life made. I've got the starting shortstop job that's just waiting for me when I get back. You know, we can lollygag and wait till the season comes up. No, I think they're challenging both Martin Grudzolanik and Ryan Jackson to switch positions, as well as I also, I also just think it's more natural for their two body types. And uh, another freshman in the mix uh, that maybe not immediately, maybe down the line could could uh, jump in there. Dean Carpentier from uh, Huntington Beach, played shortstop for Huntington Beach uh, State Championship in last year or two years ago. I can't remember. Huntington Beach is always really good. But he's a guy to keep an eye on down the road, probably more more so than early in the season. But we'll see. You know, if he, he's swinging it, this is the thing. If you're swinging it, TJ will put you in the lineup. Trust mm-hmm. me. He'll give you an opportunity. Now, it's not his final say. That's up to, to Andy Stankiewicz. But TJ is is one to, you know, whoever he feels comfortable with in, in the cages will get an opportunity. Let's move to the outfield. Center field, we know that was locked down. Austin O'Vern is going to be out there. He's going to be roaming and patrolling and catching just about everything with his super fast wheels and his great jumps on the ball. So the question that becomes the corner outfield spots, and we know that Carson Wells is – 99% going to be out there in one of those spots, you would think. Uh, you know, he was, was a mainstay out there. Like you said, he played left field primarily last year with Gabrielson in right field. He could flip over and play right field, or maybe we see someone else. It, it, it seems like there's been kind of a tryout for both of the quarter outfield spots, but primarily left field. And, and it'll depend on where they want to use Wells. And if they feel he's best at left field, then right field opens up. Otherwise, if they feel someone else is best in left field, then he'll move over to right field, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think from all the stuff that we're hearing about how many guys they've rotated in left field, it, it really does make it sound like they are going to make the move for, uh, to, to put Carson Wells in right. And I think that makes sense. You want someone with a more developed arm out there and right. That's something you really had last season in Cole Gabrielson. And I think you just you want your better corner outfield defender in right field. And that's Carson Wells. He was a great defensive left fielder last year, but again, this is just another piece of evidence that they don't want to just fill the empty position with someone else who's not returning. They're challenging these returners to learn something as well. And you heard from Travis Jewett that Wells is out there saying, no, no, I I want to play right field. I can take it on. I know how the ball slices, everything like that. I I can play right field. I want to play right field. I would assume he ends up in right. And then it's, it's kind of interesting because the guys that we've talked about as backups at first base or second base or shortstop or third, they're all going to compete for left field as well. It, and every name that we've mentioned for the most part at every position is going to compete there. Now, I'm not sure if they're all going to end up starting. I don't think you're going to have, you know, the backup compete and win every single job. But if one of them does, then a shift has to be made. But I would assume Wells will play right. And then you're going to have some combination of probably a freshman in the other corner spot because that's for the most part when you're talking about Dowd and Takuchi and Covarubias and uh, Carpentier like these are all guys that uh, are freshmen yeah another freshman we haven't mentioned Deuce Robinson the the football player is also getting some time out in left field Uh, so we'll see if he gets there another freshman Ty Silva heard some positive things about him in the fall and then JT Walden could be out there or you could have Luca DiPaolo out there so there are a couple of returners that you know probably slotted in a different position, but could also be in the left field mix as well. Yeah, Silva's one definitely to keep an eye on. We didn't hear his name these last couple interviews with with Stankiewicz and Jewett, but 
he started for USC against Pepperdine in a fall scrimmage, started in right field, had a single, a triple, and a stolen base, knocked in three runs. So he clearly was doing well enough early in the fall to get that starting job in right field, had a good game. So uh, we'll see if he was able to keep that momentum going throughout the fall. Uh, But he's another name to keep an eye on for sure. So all those guys are going to try out left field. Now, one, it'd be, hey, who's got the best bat? But it's also going to be who can actually field in left field Mm -hmm. because the DA spot will be open as well. Now, any number of guys could be there. You know, I don't think it's going to be a set. I think that's one of the spots where, you know, there's enough athleticism in this lineup that you don't have to be like, ah, that guy can't move. We got to put, we got, we want his bat in the lineup, but he's got a DH. Um, now, maybe one of the first basemen, if, if something's not going right at first base, you know, they're just not playing a great first base. You'd be like, we got to still have Chris Brown's bat in the lineup. We don't move, want to move him across, but, you know, we want a better first base, whatever it may be, or Walden and similar. One of those guys, maybe they could solidify that. But other than that, there's no one that you feel like we, we got to get in the lineup, but there's no spot for them on the field defensively. So, and, and I'm not even saying either one of those guys is a bad defensive first baseman. I don't really know necessarily about them, but I, I think it's just there's so many options. So I don't think that DH is going to be locked. I think it's going to be an open opportunity for the coaching staff to look at it like are we not not that we're forced to put someone here, but it's an opportunity to get this person more at bats. And so I think that's the way they'll use it more than we got to get somebody in. And we this is the only place they can put them. Yeah, and I think if you're looking at one guy that will be used the most at DH, it probably is Luca DePaolo, who you know, Andy Stanko has told us he really likes the big bat presence, could hit somewhere in the middle of the lineup. That sounds a lot like a DH, especially because his primary position is catcher. But you want Jacob Galloway's glove behind the plate. So they tried Luca DePaolo for a couple of games in the outfield last year. It's kind of a late game defensive replacement. We've heard he's athletic enough to be able to play in the outfield, but I, I feel like the position he sticks at the most is DH if he's not playing first. So I would assume that if you're going in and you're looking at the the opening day lineup when the team's taking on BYU in Arizona, that you're going to see Luca DiPaolo's name penciled in at DH. All right. Well, let's move on to a couple of superlatives. You know, we don't want to take too long. We talked forever with, with Travis Jewett. He was so kind to, to give us that much time. And we don't want to keep these previews too long uh, because we know once we get in the season, we're going to want to talk about everything. So mm-hmm. let's go to a couple of superlatives. Start with the best hitter. Who you got? I mean, I think everyone knows the answer, whether they know much about USC baseball or not. It's Austin O'Vern. Uh, he just had a phenomenal freshman season last year. Shotgun played the most games by a USC freshman since 2005 and had the most hits by a USC freshman since 2000 when Anthony Lunetta had 80. Uh, this is a guy who hit 314 last year, 74 hits at the top of the lineup, as well as 14 triples, which is the new USC single season record. He's got a little bit of pop, hit four home runs, and we've heard that that number could shoot up this year as well. Um, 38 runs batted in. Now he will be draft eligible after this year. So this could be the last season that USC fans will be able to watch Austin O'Vern in the Cardinal and gold. But I don't think there's any question that at least going into this season, he's this team's best hitter. I don't think I can disagree with you there, though. I tried to do some mental gymnastics and be like, well, if he doesn't hit great, who's the next guy that we'll get to that category in a second. Uh, what and, about, and I think if, if you're, if you're Andy Stankwitz, if you're Austin O'Vern specifically too, and we've heard this from, every coach that we've talked to he had a good season last year he had a really good season he was all pack 12 he was a freshman all-american but this season he's projected to be another all pack 12 performance and a third team all-american overall in the country so 
he's expected to take a jump. And now you'll certainly take another season where your leadoff hitter hits 314 and hits 14 triples. But I think they want to see him take a step up. You'd rather see that average creep up, you know, past the 330s number, you know, increase the RBI number to maybe 50 or something like that. Hit a couple more home runs because he's a sophomore he's growing into his body he's had more reps as Travis Jewett talked about so you want to see him have a better season than last year he was phenomenal but you're looking for another great season that elevates him as he gets another year older the biggest thing you want to see from this year is to cut down the strikeouts you know you want to Mm -hmm. see better plate discipline that's when he got himself in trouble was when he's chasing out of the strike zone he's getting out in front of some balls last year he had 46 strikeouts which is not a ridiculous number but it's too high for a leadoff hitter and too mm-hmm. high for a leadoff hitter that you want to be you know, a top-round pick. So that's the one thing. You want to see a little bit better plate discipline there and see if if he does that, if he is attacking balls in the strike zone better, it's only going to lead to better results because of how fast he is. Even when he mishits a ball, he's still got a chance to get on base because of how fast he is. So he can use that the speed down the line. I mean, 3-8 down the line is, is just flying so unbelievable um you know so seeing austin overn is going to be special once again so i can't say that he's not the best hitter but let's move to the most impactful newcomer who are you excited to see jack i'm gonna i'm gonna go with chris brown i know travis jewett talked a lot about him but he really is that kind of hitter that can just change the game with one swing now as we talked about uh in, in our first episode coming back he did miss last season so he He's a little bit rusty, but he was able to play the full summer. And obviously everything we've heard that he has killed the fall. I'm just excited to see how hard he can hit the ball because of all the things we're hearing, it seems like he's really got a powerful bat. That's something USC needs to replace, you know, the two guys that led the team in home runs last year in Olmstead and Gabrielson, who both went in the draft. USC needs a thumper in the lineup. And it, it seems like they're going to rely on Chris Brown a lot to do that. So uh, I think that means he's the most impactful newcomer. Yeah, I, I, he's when he swings it and he when he connects, it makes it makes a sound and it, it, the ball travels. So it's hard not to pick him. Since you already picked him, I said someone else that I'm excited to, to see is Braden Dowd. Heard positive things about him in the outfield, the freshman uh, coming from Michigan. You know, I got a chance to you know I've talked with him a couple times in the past. You know, after he first committed and went through the coaching change and everything. So looking forward to seeing what he can do. You know, a little bit sawed off, smaller body, but he's quick, he, you know, quick twitch as well. So looking to see what he can do. But Chris Brown's the guy who can make the biggest impact, in the, you know, immediately for USC. How about who's ready to take the next step? Now that's an interesting I, category because mm-hmm. you can define it in a couple different ways. And I think you're going to define it a little bit differently than I am. Yeah, I, I really there there were a handful of guys that I wanted to go with here because I think it's a lot of people in the category are people that Andy Stankiewicz talked about last week, just guys that had good seasons last year that he wants to have great seasons. And when I was looking at that group, I, I feel like the one that I would feel most confident in is Ethan Hedges, uh, a guy that while playing his you know not normal position as a freshman, there was a stretch last year in kind of the mid to end of the season where he was one of, if not the best hitter and the most consistent hitter in the lineup would get on base once or twice. And I think he's really going to grow into some power, kind of like Johnny Olmstead did last season, but hit 302 in his freshman season, had two home runs, had seven doubles, 26 runs batted in, an OPS just above 800. I think now that he's switching back to maybe a more normal position, he's able to grow into his body a little bit. I think he'll find a little bit more power. And he always had that ability to just get the barrel on the baseball, uh, put it in play, line drives to both sides of the field. I think he's ready to take that next step, although I feel like there's a lot of guys I could have gone with in this category as well. Yeah, definitely so. I'm going to actually pick Ryan Jackson 
because I had high mm-hmm. expectations for him coming from Nevada, just a bat-to-ball guy that constantly can hit line drives hard to strike out. And while he had a fine season last year, I had a little bit, you know, I expected a little bit more just from what I had been told from the Nevada coaching staff and whatnot um, that, you know, that USC was going to love him. And I think they do. They really, they really like him, but I think he can still take another step in his game and be a, a real, especially if you put him in the two hole, I feel like he just would excel there. Just the bat to ball skills with Austin O'Vern already on with that hole open, he can slap the ball through the right side when Austin O'Vern's on base. So I, I think he's a guy that has a chance and there's a little bit more pop there than what we saw last year. Um, and I just think that, you know, last year he was, you look at it, it's 287. Okay. Two home runs, 27 RBIs. He had a 431 on base percentage. Mm-hmm. Like he's always on base. Now he doesn't strike out a ton, but I think that number will even come down because he'll be more comfortable with Pac-12 pitching this year. And you know, when you add that to the plate discipline he already has, well, being able to draw 43 walks last year, I think that you're going to see his numbers tick up uh, across the board as well. Yeah, he, he had times last year I think where he wasn't hitting the way I think he wanted to, and the way I think you and I thought he could. Go into this season but the constant there is just the way he's able to handle the strike zone he was the only player in the Pac-12 last year only player in the conference with more than 40 walks and less than 40 strikeouts he he walked 43 times only struck out 36 times so that's going to be a constant he could be hitting 100 and his you know his OBP is still going to be 200 points higher because he's going to get those walks for you he's going to get on base but I think you're right He, he can take that average up to above the 300 mark he can hit his way into a little bit more power and when you do that and your on base percentage was already at 431 he definitely is ready to take the next step but you know I think he could work at the top of the lineup but I also just think he's the perfect coach's guy to have near the bottom of the lineup hitting you know between the seven and nine spots because he's going to get on base and you're looking for the bottom of the lineup to do something he's almost like that second table setter a second leadoff hitter at the bottom of the lineup that Austin O'Brien is at the top it, it's you could do it that way and they did it some that way last year but I like him in the two hole because you know when Austin O'Vern gets on base who are you worried about? Are you worried about Ryan Jackson at the plate? Are you worried about Austin mm-hmm. Overt? Yeah. So now you're not attacking the strike zone the same. So maybe you walk him. Now you got two guys on, or you're worried about uh, uh, O'Vern at first, and so you leave one over the middle, and Ryan Jackson laces a line drive in the gap, and you let Austin O'Vern run for days, and suddenly you're up one nothing in the first inning. Like I just, I love what he brings to the table there. And he batted three forty four his previous season at, at Nevada. Now that is a hitter friendly. Uh, environment up in, uh, up in Reno, but he still was, was second on their team in average you know, among their full-time players. So, you know, he's a guy that I think will, I, I think it, I, th- I would call it a bounce back season. We don't have that at category, but he would probably be my pick there because, you know, no one really had any track record before last season besides him and one or, one or two other guys. But I, I think he's going to take a big step forward. Yeah, I think if you're a USC fan, you can really be encouraged about the way he played this summer. Now, he went to the Cape, which is the best summer baseball league in the country. You've got some of the best pitchers uh, from around all schools in NCAA. Played 20 games. He hit 293, so he hit better on the Cape with a wood bat than he did at USC this past season, which I think shows you that he is a better hitter than maybe his 287 average would suggest. Still walked 10 times, only seven strikeouts, You know, had two doubles and a home run of his 17 hits. So I think you can be encouraged by the way he played there, where normally all the stats tick down because you're hitting with a wooden bat, but this is the kind of guy where he's just that old-school baseball player. He's going to find a way to get it done. He's going to get the bat on the ball, whether it's wood, whether it's metal. Uh, So I think you can be encouraged by the way he played there as a a potential sign that he's ready to take that next step this season. Great point there. Next category is swing guys. 
Now you put guys who whose improvement can alter the team, but I look at this as a guy who could who swings it all the time too, and that's why Carson Wells is my guy here because I think he's ready to take another step forward too. I'm really excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, younger brother Austin Wells, who just got called up to the bigs last year, I believe with the Yankees, if I if I'm remembering mm-hmm. correctly, um, and the fact that you called it swing guys. He he doesn't walk very often. You know, he had 19 walks last year. Was like was probably the least amount of anybody except for maybe Nick Lopez of any of the you know the full time starters. So he's going to put the ball in play a ton. Uh, he doesn't strike out a ton. Has a little bit of str- swing and miss there. But I think he'll cut that down this year. I just think he's going to be in a position. And you know, just talking to him at some of the House of Victory tailgates and whatnot when they had some of the baseball players there. I think he's ready. You know, the maturity level is taking a step forward. I think he's ready to take another step. So he's the guy I got in, in, as my swing guy. Yeah, and I think he fits my definition as well and was one of the two guys I was going to go with there. You know, guys whose improvement could alter the team. One of those guys who had a a pretty good season last year, but if he's able to bump it up and maybe be, you know, all Pac-12 honorable mention or second team, if he can have a season like that, that'll really help propel this offense. I mean, a guy who hit 283 last season, but you look at some of the underlying numbers, he hit 333 once Pac-12 play started. So he had had a slower start to the year and then picked it up. And his one of his last games was one of his best, you know, in that series against Arizona four for five with a home run three runs batted in like he, he he started to get it going at the end of the season and maybe that's a precursor to what he could do this year but I think it fits my definition as well where if he's able to have that improvement it'll really alter the course of where the team's going to go the other name that I thought about and he'll, he'll be the one that I go with here is Bryce Martin Grudzalanik who is making the, the change to shortstop there's a guy who in the in kind of not, not the preseason play, but in the non-conference play at the early part of the season, started off with a bang, had a home run in the first game, and then really, really cooled off at, uh, I think his average was around the 170 mark in the middle of March. And then he finished his season hitting 302 because he hit 353 in May, had four of his seven home runs, really started to pick it up with the bat, and then ended up being one of the four Trojans to hit over 300. Had 61 hits, seven of them were homers. He's got power as well. Um, And I think that if he's able to take that next step as well, go from a 300 hitter to a 325 hitter and get to the double-digit home run mark, that'll really do a lot for this offense. I think he'd be who I would go with in the two-hole behind Austin O'Vern, which is kind of what you saw a little bit last year too. All right, who who you got for breakout? Uh, when you ready to take the next step is kind of a breakout, but you put it on here, so I, I think you just wanted to get this guy uh, in in a category. So who's your breakout swinger? Yeah, I've got Luca DiPaolo because a lot of the other guys had their chance last year and they did some things. We didn't really get to see much of Luca DiPaolo, but like when we did get to see him, it was evident how much power he had, how much pop. He only played in twelve games, only started six of them. Had two home runs and five RBI. Of his five hits, two of them were homers. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. It's pretty symbolic about the kind of hitter he is. He's a guy that he can change the game with one swing. He can hit the ball out of the ballpark no matter where you're playing. And I think I put him as my breakout because we didn't see much of him last year. I think he's going to burst onto the scene this season. The answer is Chris Brown. We didn't see him at all last year. One, because he went to USC. but I already used him. He didn't play. Who said that you had to be used in every, you know, you only been used once. What kind of. I'm trying to highlight as many people as possible here, here, Shotgun. The answer is Chris Brown as far as the breakout. Uh, You know, the fact that everything we've heard, everything, the the results we've seen, the scrimmages and stuff, and everything I've been told from the the UConn coaching staff beforehand, like they're really hoping that he has a successful season. They want to see him succeed, loved him as a teammate and stuff. Um, And he just got beat out a couple of times when he wasn't performing at the, you know, coming out of you know the winter break but 
Sounds like things have been going well for him as well since he's come back from from winter break for USC. So I think he's a breakout candidate. If I'm not going there, I would actually say Ethan Hedges. And you say, oh, look, his stats are already pretty good, right? No one in the Pac-12 knows about Ethan Hedges. He's not a guy that they go, oh, we got to, you know, we're game planning around him. I think by the end of the season, he's a guy you're you're game planning and you better have a a specific plan of attack for because he has a chance. Because you mentioned those conference stats. He was, he hit 333 in conference and he had more walks than strikeouts. That tells me as a freshman, it means, hey, he started figuring things out as the season progressed. And so that means to me, I think he's ready to take that next step going forward too. And the last category. Okay, go ahead. I was just going to say, with all those guys that we mentioned, it definitely makes sense. DePaulo and Brown at the scrimmages that we went to in the fall, they both hit some home runs that just wowed <laughs> us, where they hit it so far up the net at Dato Field. You're like, if they can do that during the season, if they can break out in that way, that's really going to help this offense. So that's kind of where my mind went with that category. Yeah, it's a great point because USC only hit 26 homers last year. So, you know, and with the best ERA pitching staff in then in the conference last year they gave up 37 so they didn't even hit as many as their good pitching staff gave up so um I, I think that tells you that that's something that was missing johnny olmstead led the way uh or that was in conference play excuse me but johnny olmstead and cole gabrielson led the way with 11 each both those guys are gone someone needs to fill that vacancy nick lopez gone as well and his seven so i think those are both guys that are fully capable of being impact bats in the middle of the lineup. We'll see who gets in the lineup, though. That'll be that'll be the first part. And the last category you had was lineup captain. Now you got to explain this category. So before I can make my pick, yeah, I just think these are guys that are vocal leaders, and I I, I wanted to give this guy an award because we talked about him earlier. I'm going with Jacob Galloway here. Andy Stankiewicz has talked a lot about him. He said he's you know he's really undersized for a catcher, and you mentioned that earlier. He's only five nine, but really tough. He's tough minded, really vocal, uh, and he mentioned that. Him and Ryan Jackson are, have been the really the two most consistent hitters on the team in fall ball. And Galloway's a guy that kind of leads by example, as well as he's really vocal despite being undersized for both his position as well as kind of just being a college hitter. Um, but from everything that we've heard, this is a guy that's really stepped up during the fall as well as during the season last year, even when he didn't really play until the second half of the season, was a freshman. Uh, but playing catcher, you've got to be that vocal leader. And from everything that we've heard um, and that I've seen, he, he can be one of those leaders for USC on the lineup. Well, we'll see if he can have a similar impact. Like I said, already similar body stature, body type as Garrett Stubbs. If he can be anywhere close to what Garrett Stubbs was, uh, USC fans would be ecstatic. He was the difference maker. He was the heart of that 2015 team. He was the reason why they went to a regional. He's almost the reason why they won that regional, even though they got down by, I think it was three runs in the ninth or were down by three, rallied from three runs down against San Diego State to win that game. You know, we're down like six runs early against Virginia in the first game, nearly forced the the if necessary game, and he caught every inning. And it was like 3,000 degrees. USC had to wear their batting practice tops because it was so hot. And they were their batting practice tops were hideous that year. So um, that's – and he caught every single inning that entire weekend. D- double headers on that final day. He was absolutely exhausted, had so much respect for him coming to the podium afterwards because he's so emotional as a player anyways that when he came, I knew he was complete. He had, he'd given everything. And you don't often see that when someone has truly given everything, but Garrett Stubbs had that day. So if any, if Jacob Galloway gets anywhere close, he'll have my respect uh, for, for years upon years. Uh, but we'll see what he can do. Lineup captain to me is Austin O'Vern. You're putting in uh, – uh, 
specific rules and stuff that says I can't. You asked for superlatives. Twice. You asked for superlatives. That's true. But he's the lineup captain. As he goes, the the lineup will go. He's the one that the will will stir the drink at the top of the lineup. He's the pot stirrer. He's the straw that stirs. All those stirring things, he will stir things up. And uh, starting with uh, his cleats getting out of the the box, running that sub four time down to first base. So he's he's my lineup captain for sure. I should have put vocal captain. I understand what you mean. <laughs> your your pick makes sense too. But Travis Jewett said he's more of that kind of subdued guy, or he's got the the he's a little bit quieter. He leads by example. So I think both picks make sense. All right. Well, next week we're going to hope to get Seth Etherton on the show and we'll talk about the pitching and we can argue about some superlatives there. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We kind of break down the offense and hey, at the end of the year, we're going to look back and be like, oh, I can't believe we're so wrong about this guy or that guy or, oh, why don't we talk more about that guy? Because that's the way it goes in college baseball. We're looking forward to it. We're excited. Jack, anything else you want to say to end this episode for our hitters preview for the season? I'm going to say that I I am going to be thinking about your picks like that at the end of the season. (laughs) Oh, I can't wait till all of them are 100% on the mark. Uh, Mm. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Dado Download Podcast, part of the Peristyle Podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you so much to Travis Jewett for not only taking the time to join us, but taking the extra time to keep talking with us. Uh, And everyone for taking the time to listen. Also, thank you to my host, my co-host, Jack Smith. Please like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform, and we hope you can join us for the next episode of the Dado Download Podcast.